You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. You know, we do not uh, depend on the government to preach the gospel, do we? No matter what, I'm, I mean, it, it's, it's a blessing, and I'm thankful as we think about the 4th of July, I'm really thankful that we have freedom uh, in our country, but I uh, heard a missionary say recently that in most of the world where there's severe persecution, they would say, we do not depend on political freedom to proclaim the good news of Christ. Isn't that exciting? Thankful that we do have freedom here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, but we don't, we don't depend on uh, political freedom to do that. It's a mandate and a privilege to get to share the Word of God. You know, as I think about uh, our next pastor that's going to stand here in the pulpit and faithfully pro- proclaim the Word of God, I'm excited about that and who that's going to be and what God's going to do in our church and where He's going to take us in the days to come. And I'd like to just pause for a moment this morning and just pray for that man that God's going to lead us to as our pastor search team continues to look and see who that's going to be. Uh, I think we can have an expectancy and an excitement about what the next step for Coggin is and where God's going to take us. So y'all pray with me. God, thank you that we get to proclaim, God, your words that you affirmed over and over. Father, we thank you that uh, you're giving direction to our search team. We pray that you would continue to direct them, give them wisdom, and God, 100% clarity and unity in who they will bring to this church. And Father, we depend on you for your guidance, for your direction. But Father, we pray that whoever you bring here, that God, as they stand in this pulpit, that they would be a person, God, that would faithfully honor your word to us. And so, Father, would you bring that man here? And would you lead us? And would you help us have clarity? And God, we're excited to think not just for a man to come and lead our church, but what you might do in the years to come here. And Father, we know that there's nothing you cannot do. And we just pray, God, with expectation uh, that you would move in our church and our hearts and our community in a way that we can't say anything except, wow, God, the way that you moved in us and among us, uh, Father, we long for that and we look for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I was getting ready, I, I was thinking about this morning and I was thinking about what an opportunity it is to set and not necessarily the person that's standing here in the pulpit, but that we get to sit under the teaching of God's words to us. Think about that for a minute. That when we sit here in this place, that we have an opportunity to listen to Almighty God. And when we read His words and we do the best that we can to interpret that uh, so that we can have understanding and apply it to our life. And just like last week, as Billy talked about salt and light, And this is coming out of the Sermon on the Mount that we know it as, but in basically chapter 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus delivered what we would say the most famous sermon that was ever given. And when when Billy talked last week about salt, what salt was and what salt is, that it's flavor, that it makes us thirsty, it creates thirst, it preserves, and it purifies 
And he talked about the light, how it exposes the darkness and explains how to get out of the darkness as well. And that when we have the light of Christ, that we don't hide it, but we let it shine. And I want to ask you this. I think every time that we come and that we hear a message, hopefully we're applying that to our life. And how are we living that out in the week? And I'd like to ask you this question. Were you salty this week? Were you being salt? And did the light of Jesus shine through your life this week? I think as we hear the message of Christ, we want to apply that to our life. And hopefully as a congregation of Coggan Avenue Baptist Church, as we go out into the world, that we're applying those things to our lives. You know, as we kind of transition into this uh, message in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, if you want to look up in your device or your Bible in front of you, we're going to look at Matthew 5, uh, 17 through 20, and that's just the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. A powerful passage of Scripture, like as if any Scripture is not powerful, right? But all throughout history, the Bible has been attacked. The Bible, uh, people have sought to discredit it. It has been challenged. It has even been physically destroyed in many times throughout history where people have, uh, regimes and so forth, have tried to just destroy God's Word physically. And there's a term that we'll talk about here in just a minute, but deconstructed as well. And we look at this even from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4, where the enemy, the devil, comes to Adam and Eve, or comes to Eve and says, uh, you know, did Jesus really, or did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden? And she clarifies, right? She comes back and says, no, he only said, God only said that we can't eat from the tree in the middle of, in the midst of the garden. So basically, the enemy is coming and trying to make, make her doubt the very core thing of what God had just told to them. And then she says to him that we will die. God says, if we eat of this tree, we'll die. And the enemy's response is this. Surely you're not going to die in verse 4, right? Surely you're not going to die. But from the very beginning, the devil, our world around us in many ways, has tried to attack the Bible. Bibles are gathered, burned. But here's, here's what may even be a little more dangerous that some may say that the Bible is just a good book, right? It's a good book. It's worthy of our reading. It's the most sold, most read book of all times. And then some might say, well, it's just old. It's out of date. And how can we trust a book that's so old? Well, we trust what Jesus said, the red letters. The red letters that we have, what Jesus said, but that's really all that we can trust. And from the early church... We have tried to combat that from very early on by um, coming up with creeds that are affirming what we believe about Scripture, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, and what we believe about the church. It's largely these creeds, these documents that we've come up with have been to say this is what we believe concerning Scripture. And even mostly we have done this to clarify for us, right? As the body of Christ, this is what we believe. 
As Southern Baptists, we have a small book that maybe some of you have read, and it'd probably be a good read if you've never read it. It's called The Baptist Faith and Message, that gave clarity to what we believe as Southern Baptists. Even on our website, if you were to go to uh, coggenchurch.org and go to our website, there's uh, our statement of belief, if you've never read that. It'd probably be good and to go back and to read that, and this is what our core belief is. But on that website, under what, there's a little tab. It's called What We Believe, or We Believe, and under that, there's a heading called The Scripture, and this is what it says. We believe that the Bible is God's infallible and errant word to us concerning Himself. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living because it is inspired by God. It is the truth without any mixture of error. So if you've wondered what do we believe concerning uh, God's Word, the Bible, there it is. So today we're going to look at Matthew 5, 17-20 where Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount His belief concerning Scripture. So let's look at verse 17, starting there. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he's saying in verse 17, in our first point, Jesus believed that the Scripture points to Him. And he says in verse 17, do not think. In other words, in our vernacular, we'd say, don't even think about it. Not to destroy, we're not going to dismantle, demolish anything. And the picture of this is the idea of tearing down a house. That we would tear down a board or a brick at a board at a time, a brick at a time, and that we would just tear it a little bit down at a time. And what Jesus is saying, there is nothing further from the truth. But what did He come to do? He says this, I came to fulfill the law of the prophets the law and the prophets. And basically what he's saying, I've come to fulfill all of the Old Testament. All of it. Every bit of it. And here's, I want to talk about three things. We could talk about more, but I want to talk about three things that he fulfilled in the law. And the first one is morally. That without sin, he was perfect in his thoughts and his actions. In all ways in all ways, that Jesus was perfect without sin. The second thing in the way that He came to fulfill and that He fulfilled are the prophecies. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. I want to share an illustration with you. I think I've shared this before, but it, it really, I don't, I don't know of another one that fits better than right here. There are 61 major prophecies 
in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. Peter Stoner in his book, Science Speaks, says this. He does the math on it. And for eight of those 61 major prophecies to be fulfilled in one person is one in 10 to the 17th power. In other words, if we were to take silver dollars and we were to lay them on the surface of the state of Texas, one in 10 to the 17th power would mean we would cover the surface of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. Now, if we were to take Billy Cash and we were to blindfold him and uh, we were to say, you have one opportunity, we're gonna, we're gonna put an X on one silver dollar and we're gonna fly over in the darkness of night, we're gonna drop it out somewhere and we're gonna say to Billy, Billy, we're gonna blindfold you, we're gonna wait till nighttime and you can go anywhere in the state of Texas that you want to but you only have one chance to pick out the silver dollar that has the X on it. That's what the probability of 1 in 10 to the 17th power is. If we were to go even a little further into, say, 48 prophecies, it would be 1 in 10 to 157th power. Wow. We, he goes on, if you want a really good read, you can go and look it up and, and read it. But the statistics are just crazy. Let's put it in, Any, anybody an Olympic fan? Been watching the Olympic trials? I, I'm, I'm a track guy, I really enjoy the Olympic trials and, and watching the Olympics as they come up. And Trayvon Bromell is uh, kind of one of the front leaders in the 100 meters. All right, we could talk about a lot of different people, but I'm predicting to you today that Trey uh, Bromell, I think that's how you say his name, is going to win the 100 meters in the Olympics. Now, that's, a, that's a kind of an iffy deal because you never know what's going to happen and so forth, uh, but I'm going to predict that. All right, I'm not a prophet of God in that sense, so don't hold me accountable to it. But let's say... Um, I've got a good opportunity to make that prediction come true. I mean, he's ran the fastest time this year and so forth. But let's say a hundred years from now, I'm going to predict to you the person that's going to win the hundred meters in the Olympics a hundred years from now. Let's go even further and let's say 700 years from now, I'm going to predict who's going to win the 100 meters in the Olympics. I'm going to tell you his full name. I'm going to tell you where he was born. I'm going to tell you how many brothers and sisters he has and 61 other things about him. That's what it was like for Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And you know what's exciting to me about that is that God did not leave it up to chance or to be accidental that this happened. But God has affirmed to us in what He is saying, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, but what I have come to do is to fulfill it, to bring it fulfillment. And He's done that in His morals, in the way that he's lived his life, a perfect life, in his prophecies. But here's the, the final thing, is he is the final sacrifice for us. He is the final sacrifice. Jesus came to bring the completion of the intended purpose of the Old Testament. 
that no longer do we have to make sacrificial or offer sacrificial lambs. And from Jesus, the time till now, we don't do that because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the pure lamb. And because of that, he never left the door open to consider that he was just a good man or a good teacher or just a good prophet. But he was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. In the Baptist faith and message, there's a line about the Scripture and it says this, All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who Himself is the focus of divine revelation. Point number two is this, Jesus believed the Scripture was perfect in every detail. And He says this in verse 18, For truly I say to you, in other words, He's saying, I assure you, that phrase Truly, I say to you, what I'm about to say to you is of utmost importance. In other words, as far as we know in the New Testament, no other teacher used this phrase, this particular phrase. So Jesus was about to say something that's really important. In what He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. The smallest letter in the Hebrew language is the jot, and it's like an astrophe in our language. And the smallest projection of the Hebrew letter is the tittle, and it's just a small, tiny mark. So a lot of times we say jot and tittle. It would be, the tittle would be like if I wrote a capital C, and then I changed it to a G by just a small stroke. Or if we took the letter O, and we were to make a Q, we just put a small stroke. And that's what he's talking to. And in Luke 16, 17, he says this, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one jot or tittle from the law. The law to become void. Jesus affirms multiple times the reliability, the truthfulness of Scripture with the strongest language possible. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat that when we approach the Word of God that we can approach it with confidence that Jesus affirmed it? Nowhere did Jesus, do we see in the New Testament that Jesus challenged the history of the Old Testament or its accuracy of any of the Scripture. But He taught on several things that skeptics today would say maybe we're allegory, but Jesus affirmed as truth and fact about Adam and Eve, about Noah and the flood, about Sodom and Gomorrah and about Jonah, that Jesus affirmed many, well, not many, but all of the Old Testament. In verse 19, the third thing this morning, in verse 19, Jesus believed the Scripture should be taught and obeyed. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing is he just said we need to be teaching these things because they're important, right? We gather every Sunday and we do what we call Sunday school. We do Sunday morning Bible study. We meet during the week and we read God's Word and we study it. 
because it's so important, because we can approach it, because we know that it's ac accurate. And when we stand in the pulpit and whoever stands here doing the best that we can to be accurate and to uh, share with you the importance and the accuracy of Scripture. There's a phrase that's going around that, that really is concerning to me, and it's called deconstruction. And I've heard several students say this to me, well, I'm really deconstructing right now. I'm really questioning the way I was brought up. I'm really questioning what the church has taught me in relationship to the Bible. I'm really, I know Jesus was a good person. And basically this idea of deconstruction is, is the Bible really true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is God's design really one man and one woman in a marriage relationship? And what we talked about just a, briefly a little bit earlier, it's this whole idea that I am going to tear down the house a board by board, a brick by brick. And that's what deconstruction really is referring to when Jesus said, I didn't come to do that. I didn't come to tear down, but I came to fulfill. That when we teach God's Word, that we can know that it is God's Word to us. And the second part of that is, is obedience to obey and follow God's Word in our life. You know, I, I think I, someone said, I, I couldn't remember who said it, but sometimes we want God's blessing without His obedience. And that's something that should really challenge our hearts today. Obedience is important. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John 2, 3, this is how we know Him if we keep His commands. As a follower of the King, as a follower of King Jesus, He says that we're to be salt and we're to be a light. That we should be seeking to obey Him. In 1 John 5, 3, He says this, For this is what the love of God is, is to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. And I love that. I love that phrase when he says that my, my commands to you are not a burden, but can be a joy and a delight to follow after him. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount and we look forward a little bit, we look ahead, we see that Jesus begins to address several of these things. And he takes some of the Old Testament and he even goes beyond what the Old Testament is saying. And he says the way that we deal with anger the way that we deal with the lust. He's going to talk about the way uh, about divorce, about oaths. He talks about retaliation, how we should love our enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's prayer, and fasting, laying up in treasures in heaven and not being anxious. He talks about a lot of things in the kingdom of God. What does a child of God look like? And he talks about those things. And if we have the opportunity and moving forward, uh, depending on what God does, uh, we'll address some of those things. But here's the last thing. In verse 20, Jesus believed the Scripture focused on the heart and the spirit of the law. And Jesus gives the scribes and the Pharisees a harsh warning. He gives them a stern warning. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So 
So let's talk just briefly. Who were the scribes and who were the Pharisees? The scribes were highly trained experts in the interpretation and application of the law. They were the ones who copied the scripture and it was meticulous in the way that they would copy the scripture. They would, it was letter for letter, letter for letter. And every time they came to the, the name of God, they would stop and wash their hands. They were very meticulous. They began their training as children and they were not formally ordained until they were 40 years old. Well-trained, meticulous. The Pharisees, it was a movement in Judaism that was committed to meticulous observance of the law. They emphasized things like tithing, ritual purity, and observance of the Sabbath. Now here's the thing that they did. They had 248 regulations and 365 prohibitions to protect the law. In other words, what we would say, we should not take away from the law or we should not add to the Scripture, right? Not take away, not add to, but they were certainly adding a lot of regulations and prohibitions to protect the law. The righteousness, the Bible tells us, was really external. It was not internal. They looked really good. They dressed in these robes and headdresses. When they walked through the streets of the community, they were really respected. And people honored them with the way they, they treated them and talked to them. They were acknowledged in the community as the leaders. So if verse 19 was about obedience, about the teaching and obeying the law in the Scripture, then verse 20 is more about legalism and about doing things that we try to do as believers sometimes just to be noticed. And this is how Jesus responds to the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, in verses 25 through 28, here is another really, really stern warning that he gives to them. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. That's a pretty stern rebuke, isn't it? He's saying the cup looks beautiful on the outside, but when we look inside that, man, it is nasty. I'm not drinking out of that. It is a nasty thing. And he goes on to say, whitewashed tombs, that we take this white paint and we make these graves and we paint them and they look beautiful and so forth, but there's still dead men's bones inside of these graves. 
And he said, it's not about the outside, but it's about the inside. Jesus never really did away with what? With tithing, with uh, purity, with the things that the Pharisees taught, but their heart was not there. It wasn't about when I give that I'm going to give a bunch of coins. I'm going to make a lot of noise so that people can see and hear what I'm doing. And that when I'm fasting and when I'm praying, I want everybody in the room to know it. I want them to know what's going on. But Jesus is saying that when you fast and when you pray, do those things in secret, not to be seen by man, but to be seen by God. He gives us how we are to live the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that He gives us. It's about how we live as a child of the King to bring God honor and to bring Him glory. In 539 of chapter John, Jesus says this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to Me. In other words, life is found not in the Scripture, but in what the Scripture points us to, the fulfillment of the law, which was Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg says this. He says, We find Christ in all the Scripture. In the Old Testament, He is predicted. In the Gospels, He is revealed. In Acts, He is preached. In the epistles, He is explained. And in the revelation, He is expected. Do you know Him? Do you know the Jesus that came to fulfill the law and the prophets? He is giving us an opportunity that we don't have to depend. The righteousness does not depend on us fulfilling the law. But when the heart of the follower of Jesus Christ is changed, then the heart is changed to follow the King. As a child of the King, to follow Him, to proclaim Him, to live out our lives in a way that point people to the One who has come to fulfill the law, that has been the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. We can't earn it, right? No matter how good I look, no matter how much I give, no matter all of those things. But those things are not bad. None of them in itself. And there's a tension with this passage of Scripture a little bit. Well, we don't obey the law, and we can really go in a ditch really quick because, well, there's a lot of things that I was taught when I, when I grew up, or there's a lot of things, it's just legalism, legalism. And then we go to the other side, that maybe sometimes we are legalistic about things that are not clearly defined in Scripture. That there are some things that, that we just, they're the tradition of men and they're not the commands of God. But that's why it's important that we're under the teaching of the Word of God all the time so that we can know and have a heart that, that we're not like a whitewashed tomb, that, that we're just dead men's bones with no power but we walk in a relationship with God in a way that we bring glory and honor to Him. The one who is the fulfillment of the law, 
He is the one that paid the perfect sacrifice. Just as we talked about briefly in the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says this. When we think about the 4th of July, we think about freedom. We think about a lot of things that, that we may celebrate. But Jesus says this. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. True freedom is not following the law, but following Jesus. Y'all bow with me and pray together. I think it's always good to pause for a moment after we've heard the Word of God and to really think about how does this apply to me today? Sometimes I get caught up in church attendance or just some other things. All of those are important. But that God would give me a heart that would want to proclaim Him until He comes. That we remember that He is the fulfillment of all of the law. Morally, prophetically, and certainly as the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sin. And when He sets us free, we are free indeed. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sin? To be the Lord of your life? If not, today could be that day that you would choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are, are you proclaiming Him until He comes? We remember through baptism. We remember through the Lord's Supper. But are we proclaiming Him until He comes? Are we bringing the good news of Jesus? Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.